Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I am glad that you are here today. I was standing there a while ago thinking most of the people who are the most special to me in this world are gathered together under this roof, and I just appreciate your presence here. I'm going to start a brand new sermon series today, three-part series entitled Making Us Husband and Wife. But before we do, I got something I really need to say to the Golden Corner Church family. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. For what you ask, for last Sunday, our Easter service last week. Thank you for showing up, and we really encouraged you, if you would, to bring some people with you to invite some friends and family members, and a conservative estimate would be that we had about 250 guests at church last Sunday. And I just wanted to say thank you. That is an outstanding job. I appreciate that. But it wasn't just that. It's the way that I felt like you as a church treated those guests when they came. I watched our guest services team. They do a wonderful job every week, but I tell you, last week they were just on, on, just on top of it. The, the greeters, those of you who provided the refreshments, served the refreshments, the parking lot attendants, the safety team, everybody that has a role in that, outstanding job. But those of you who work with our children every week, I think you're the best Last week, you hit the ball out of the park, and I want you to know that I appreciate it. I told Brock on Monday morning, I have no idea how worship could have been any better than it was. It was just absolutely outstanding. And as the church all worked together, we, I, I, think we, I think there were somewhere between 15 and 20 people who raised their hand at the conclusion services, acknowledged that I just prayed and received Christ into my life. And so I want to thank him. I want to thank you. I just thought it was an all-round great job. Now to the next series. You ready? Good. Two of us. We're ready. Back in December, I was having dinner with our, the trustees of our church. We were at our place. We seem to always gather at Porto Nuevo. And uh, we're having some good Mexican food together, and Gabe Yoder, who was serving as one of our trustees at the time, he said, let me pitch an idea. He said, have you ever thought about maybe either creating or identifying a handful of classes that could be taught on some kind of regular basis at Golden Corner Church that would help people acquire the basic skills needed for life? He said, for example, maybe a brief class that would help make us followers of Christ. Because, you know, to follow Christ, there are certain skills like how do I sit down with the Bible and get something out of it on my own? How do I pray effectively? What does it take to be a positive influence on the people in my world? And, and he said, maybe a class on finances, making us financially fit something. He said, you know, where you maybe could take biblical principles or either just practical advice that could help people acquire and use the skills needed to become financially healthy. And then, of course, we knew that there's got to be something in there about the family. You know, the fundamentals, the, the fundamental things you got to know. The essential skills you got to have to build a successful marriage and, 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 and healthy families. And so from that conversation came this series. And so over the next three Sundays, I'm going to share this little series with you entitled Making Us Husband and Wife. 
And uh, then I'm going to take two weeks off, and I'm going to come up missing. Is that okay? That's good with three of you, but I'm telling you, for the rest of you, I'm going to do it anyway. You good with that? Now, come on, loosen up. Some of you seem so uptight. I'm not going to scold anybody here today. Got it? Other than husbands. Okay, wives, are you good? We're going to learn just the basic essentials of what it takes to build a successful marriage. Who am I aiming at? In this series, and I'm going to do this three parts, taking two weeks off. Then I'm coming back Mother's Day, going to start the second three, making us mom and dad. Finish that up, we got our class. We're ready to reproduce it, use it over and over and over again. So in this series, this first series, who am I targeting? Well, I think it's obvious. I'm targeting those of you who are married. And let me back up and say that differently. I'm targeting those of us who are married. I'm targeting those of you who have maybe just recently been married. And I feel like I'm going to share some things that really help you have a successful marriage. But I want you to understand something. That some of you... Are kind of like Lynn and I. Lynn and I will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary in October. Did you know that? 40 years. You ought to applaud Lynn, by the way. That ought, that ought to be a standing ovation, not for Lynn. I mean, you know. We were with Danny and Karen another night, and I said, man, we've been married. We'll be married 38 years in October. And Lynn said, 40! i got to tell you what came out of my mouth, and you just have to excuse me. I said, good God Almighty. And then I thought, oh, man. It's too late to get it back in. I know what some of you are thinking, we've been married 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. You know, we, you're not going to share anything with us that we don't already know. Well, this week, as I've been preparing, I learned things about marriage I didn't know. Lynn and I were hiking one morning, and I was sharing some of the things that I was learning. And I said, Lynn, I wish that somebody would have told me these things when I was a young man. Uh, preferably, I, I wish somebody had told me these things before you and I were ever married. I, I could have just been a better husband to you if I'd known these things. And, and I believe even if you've been married for quite a while, I believe you're going to learn some things that help you have a more successful marriage. Hey, I'm targeting those of you who are single, who intend to one day be married or you hope to be married. I don't know but what this series is not going to be uh, of more value to you than anybody else. I believe it's going to help you choose the person that you really want to try to spend the rest of your life with. And I believe you're going to learn some things that are foundational. They're going to be foundational in you and your spouse building a successful marriage. And if you're sitting here and you're single and go, man, I don't ever want to be married. I believe and I don't think this is a stretch. I know this. I know you know people who are married. And if you know many people who are married, you know some people who are struggling in marriage. And just perhaps as a friend, you're going to learn some things in these three sermons that you can pass on to them as their friend and help them move in the direction of a successful marriage. Now i got three weeks, so you got to understand I'm condensing a lot of things. I'm having to pick through and sort what I can talk about and what I can't. There are a lot of questions I can't answer. And I'm going to actually teach this series uh, acting on some assumptions. 
I'm going to assume that you and I believe some things and that we agree on them. You say, well, what like what? I'm going to assume that we all believe and agree that marriage is God's idea. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time. We're not going to study two or three weeks for me to make that point. I think if you've ever read the book of Genesis, you get it. Genesis chapter 2, we read that God had created the world. He created a man and gave him the name Adam. And one day God looked at Adam and he said, something missing in that boy's life. He needs something. And so God went on just a creative binge. And he made all the animals and he made all the birds, you know, that fly. I started to say the birds of the sea, all the birds of the air. He made all the birds. And the Bible said that he brought them one by one to Adam. And he'd say, what do you think about that? And apparently Adam must have responded kind of listless. Yeah, that's odd. Adam, what do you want to call it? Ah, let's call it a duck. He'd bring him something else. Adam, what do you think about this? That's okay. What do you want to call it? Let's call it a gopher. Adam, what do you think about this? Ooh, I kind of like that. What do you want to call it? White-tailed deer. And so, <laughs> but I believe by the end of the day, he brought all this stuff by Adam. And, you know, Adam's still sitting there. He's pining. He's, you know what God said? The boy still needs something. He's got all this stuff. Something's missing. God said, I, I know what I'm going to do. He put him to sleep, he took one of his ribs, and he made a woman. Can you imagine this? So God wakes Adam up, and he says, what do you think about this? (laughs) Put yourself in his place here. And uh, God says, you you named everything else, You you, you want to name this? He said, I'm going to call her a woman. You say, where in the world did he get woman? Well, according to the most ancient Hebrew text, the first two words out of Adam's mouth when he laid eyes on Eve was, whoa, man, woman. Now listen, I've been waiting all week to say that. I know that was corny, but I had to say it or die. You know what the Bible says the first two words out of his mouth really were? He said, at last. Really, that's, that's exactly... Now, the other was the Hodge translation. You can take it or leave it. This is true. He said, at last. You know what he's saying to God? Finally, we're getting somewhere. God gave Eve to Adam, and he gave Adam to Eve. And you know what the Bible said? The Bible said, for this cause shall a man leave his parents... And be joined us to his wife. God at that moment set into, into the order of creation the, the relationship of marriage. Now, I'm kind of naive. I sit down Monday morning and I'm thinking, i got to start a series on marriage. Let's, I took my Strong's Concordance out. I said, I wonder how many references there are. I figured you know, there are 35, 40 references to marriage in the Bible. I, you know, I can handle that. And so I start looking up marriage and wedding and and husband and wife and bride and bridegroom. And I found out, Bill, there are 808 references to marriage in the Bible. And the point I'm making is this. Now, I'm not going to take any more time than that, but marriage is definitely God's idea. And we're just going to operate under that assumption. The second assumption is this, that marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. Now, here we go. What I'm going to say next, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, is going to be deemed politically incorrect. 
You got me? We live in an age of tolerance, and I know that what I say could bring some criticism on me, but I want you to understand something. God never called me to be politically correct, but He did call me to be biblically correct, okay? And so here's the assumption we're operating under, that marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. You say, could you think you could prove that? I believe I could prove that pretty quickly. And here's the deal. If you go to the Old Testament which was written primarily in Hebrew, and you look up the word husband, you could go to the New Testament, which was you know, written in Greek, look up the word husband. They mean the same thing. The word was a masculine word. It was masculine plus feminine. A husband is a man who has taken unto himself a female to be his wife. That's the biblical definition of a husband. I'm just sorry, that's just the way it is. You can email Scott Lee with any complaints that you've got. Any, He'll help you. Now, if you look up wife, Old Testament or New Testament, the word is feminine. It's female plus male. It's a woman who has taken a man to be her husband. I'm sorry. We could, we could go into other passages and we could look at that and we could try to prove that. I'm going to assume that we all believe that and we'd agree on that. Now, there's a third assumption. Something I believe we agree, we believe we agree on. There's more to marriage than a man and woman living under the same roof, sleeping in the same bed. You say, why do you think that is? Well, the Bible talks about engagements, wedding days, wedding ceremonies, wedding vows, wedding banquets. It just appears to me that when the Bible is talking about marriage, it's much more formal than just the casual, get your stuff and move in. Now, that might not be enough for you, but I've got to be honest with you. What really defined it for me were the words of Jesus. Something he said in the New Testament in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. We're going to read it here in a minute. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time setting up these verses because Tim taught from this just a few weeks ago. I'll give you the gist. Jesus is talking with an unsaved woman. Now, his goal is to save her. So he's wanting to prove that he is more than just a man, more than just a prophet, that he is the Messiah. He's God in human flesh. So he tries to razzle-dazzle her by telling her things about herself that really no stranger could have possibly known. Now, look what he says. Verse number 16, he said, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, I don't have one. Jesus said, you're right. You're right. You don't. Uh, You don't have a husband, for you've had five. And you aren't even married. Now, this is a key phrase. You aren't married to the man you're living with now. Jesus said to her, you certainly spoke the truth. You see what Jesus just said to her? Now, you've had husbands, but you don't have one now. You've got a man living under the same roof with you. You've got a man sleeping in the bed with you. That doesn't make him your husband. There's more to it than sharing the same house, same bed, same checking account. You say, what do you think it is? <clears throat> I would use the word covenant. Covenant. I came across this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2, and some Israelite men had divorced the, their, their wives, 
and so that they could marry non-Israelite, much younger women. And so God is really ticked off with them, and he said, he said, I was listening when you made your marriage vows. And then he said, in the King James Version, he says it like this, I was watching when you entered into a covenant with that woman who is your wife. That's the way God described it. Marriage is a covenant, a legally binding agreement between a man and a woman that I am yours for the rest of your life. I will serve you in the capacity of husband, or I will serve you in the capacity of being your wife. It is a covenant. Now, apparently, this was not just a covenant between the man and the woman. I found another passage of Scripture where Israelite men had divorced their Israelite wives so they could marry non-Israelite, much younger Women. Now, what's wrong with men? Can you, can you answer me that question? What is wrong with men? And God is once again angry with these men. And he says to them, you have broken your covenant with, not your wife, with me. So apparently marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman and God. It kind of goes like this. The man says, God, I'm committing to you that I will fulfill my commitments to her. And the woman says, God, I'm committing to you that I will keep my commitment to her. It's a covenant. Entered into by solemn oath. That's what the word vow in the Bible means. A solemn oath. So what we're going to do in this little series is I'm going to try to show you how to build a successful marriage. So you know what we need to know? We need to know what a successful marriage looks like. Where we're going to find that? We're going to find it in the Bible. Is is How do you measure the success of a marriage? Is it based on longevity? Listen, I know people who've been married 35 years and, and they've been miserable for 34. So I don't know that longevity has a whole lot to do with it. What about happiness? You know, I think happiness could very well be the byproduct of a successful marriage, but I don't know that that's necessarily the definition of a successful marriage. Then what is it? Now, you've got to be patient with me. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 21. We're going to read some together. Now, I want want to set the stage. The Apostle Paul is writing these words under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to Christian people who made up the church at Ephesus. And the first half of his letter, he, it, was, it was very heavy in theology. And he's been telling them, God has done this for you, he's done that for you, he's done this for you. And then in the last half of his letter, it, it turns very practical. And he's saying, because God has done all this for you, here's what you ought to do for him. Because God has done all this for you, this is the way that you should now live. Now, I want you to look at verse number 21. He says, and further, he's already into his uh, letter. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Take a look at that little phrase, submit to one another. You know what it means? Here is a simple but accurate translation. This is what Paul was telling these Christians to do. Put others first. Put others first. And he tells them, here's why I want you to do that. Because I want you to do it out of respect for Christ. He's saying, you know what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to embrace an others first mentality and live an others first kind of life. 
You, and how could they have known that? John chapter 15, Jesus said, here's my commandment to you. Love each other as I have loved you. And then he said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. They knew that. And so Paul is saying to all these believers in that church, put others first. Do it out of respect for Christ, knowing that's the way he wants you to live. Then he turns to the wives who made up this church, and look what he says in verse number 22. He said, right, let's, let's be specific for you. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Why would he want them to do that? For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of his church. You know what the church is? It's just the collection of everybody whom Jesus ever saves. It's the collection of people who through redemption belong to Jesus. They're the church. Then he goes on to talk about Jesus, and he said he is the Savior of the body of the church. In other words, he saved the church from grave danger. And then he says back to the wives, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in control of the remote. What does that say? In everything. Now, men, before you get giddy with power... And wives, before you lynch me, there's more to this. There's more to this. Do you know what Paul just told the wives of this church to do? Put your husband first. I'm going to tell you, it could, that, that, that's as accurate and as simple as it can be put. He said, put your husband first. Look at verse number 25. For husbands, this means... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, speaking of the church, and then he begins, he kind of breaks away from the husbands, and he's talking about Jesus, and why would he do that? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Then he goes back to the husbands. Husbands, you listening? He said, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. Now, you want a simple, accurate translation of what Paul just told those husbands to do. He said, put your wife first. Wives, put your husband first. Husbands, put your wife first. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, where in Genesis chapter 2, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He said, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now look what he says. He's wrapping this up. He said, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He said, in conclusion, here's what I've got to say. Wives, put your husbands first. Husbands, put your wives first. Now in this passage of Scripture, I think we see a, a, a picture of a successful marriage. And you say, where did you see it at? I'm seeing it in verse number 32. Back up, look at that one more time. Paul said this. What's he speaking of? Marriage. 
This is a great mystery to which many of you are wanting to say, Amen. It's a mystery I've never been able to figure out. Do you know what Paul is talking about when he, when he refers to a mystery here? He's talking about a profound truth that God has always known. And for a period of time, he chose not to share with the human race. But at a certain point in the history of man, he made a decision. I'm not keeping this to myself anymore. I'm going to share it with them. Sometime after the ascension of Christ and and after the Holy Spirit came to this earth, God began to reveal a profound truth to human beings. You know what it was? He tells us. He said, marriage is a great mystery. There's something about marriage that God has always known. But he kept to himself for thousands of years, but only now is beginning to reveal to human beings. That's what he's saying. He said, this is a great, marriage is a great mystery, but it, marriage, is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You know what we're seeing here? God's purpose in marriage. I mean, it's the day that he gave Eve to Adam, and Adam to Eve, it was his purpose. Throughout all those thousands of years of the Old Testament, it was his purpose. Now, nobody knew that. Until now, he's revealing his purpose. God's purpose in marriage, marriage is not a cure for lust. Marriage is not a cure for loneliness. Marriage is not practical in nature. Oh, Adam just can't handle it by himself. We're going to have to give him a woman. God's purpose in marriage is that in the marriage relationship, people could see how Jesus loves his people and how his people love him. That's it. In this great illustration, husbands, we're given the awesome responsibility of playing the role of Jesus. I don't know how that makes you feel. I'm honored, but I'm very intimidated. Those are mighty big shoes to fill. In this illustration, women get to play the part of the church. God's purpose in marriage was that anyone who would ever look at a married couple could see in the way the husband treats his wife the love of Jesus Christ. And they could see in the way the wife treats her husband the way Christian people should love Jesus. That is the purpose of marriage. We are all part. Those of us who are, we're part of a great illustration. And then God scattered tens of thousands of these married couples throughout the world so that every sporting event, you could see them. You could see an illustration of how Jesus loves His people and how His people love Him. At every church, they would be littered throughout the church. At, you know, that, 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 that in every neighborhood, in every extended family gathering, that there's some married couple there. And in that marriage, it's plain to see when you look at the way that husband treats his wife, that's how Jesus loves the church right there. When you see the way the wife loves the husband, you go, that's the way we're supposed to love Jesus. Does that make any sense to you? I'm going to tell you something, guys. I never saw that before this week. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage of Scripture. 
Uh, James, I don't know how I missed it because, I mean, the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ and Jesus as the bridegroom, but somehow or another, it went straight over my head. But boy, this week I saw it. And when Lynn and I were walking, we were hiking, and I shared this profound truth with her. She said, Ronnie, how do we know if we're succeeding? How do we know if we're succeeding? Husbands, the day your wife has this revelation, I know how Jesus loves me. He loves me unconditionally. And he loves me self-sacrificially. And here's how I know it. I see it in the way my husband loves me every day. The day your wife has that revelation, the day she sees that, you're succeeding. Wives, you want to know how you're successful? The day your husband has this revelation, I know how I'm supposed to love Jesus. I'm supposed to love him the way she loves me. I'm supposed to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, mind, and being. And I know what that looks like because I see it every day in the way she loves me. And that happens, you're succeeding. Husbands and wives, when you look back over the course of your life, and you may not even have recognized when it happened, but it happened. Somewhere in the marital relationship, you completely lost yourself in an effort to show your spouse love. When you can look back and see that at some point, somehow, somewhere, my marriage became all about not me. Wives, when you can look back and go, you know, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I know this happened. Somewhere in the process of loving him. I lost my life. My marriage, not even my life is about me anymore. It's about him. When you get to that point, you are succeeding. So here is the aim of this little series. And, and it should answer a question that just came into your mind. How do we get there? How do we get to this place how do we have a successful marriage? How do we get to the point that our relationship with each other is a perfect illustration of how Jesus loves his people and how his people love him? Now, I, did, did, you, uh, did we get the definition on the screen? I intentionally didn't want a lot of clutter on the screen today. But there's only one thing I want you to know. Man, I want you to know it, though. 
A successful marriage illustrates the love relationship that exists between Jesus and his people. Know that, and as you can see, I don't have time to go any, at any greater length into this, but next week we're coming back with some biblical and practical how-tos on how to move in the direction of a truly biblical, successful marriage. Are you in? Good, 17. There are only three in the first service. I'm worried about them. I look forward to seeing you next week. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for such a wonderful plan. Mind-blowing that you would just see a need to, to just project the love of Christ and to do it through marriage. And, uh, Lord, I pray that we'll walk out here understanding that we've got a, quite a responsibility here and an opportunity and that you'll help us do this. God, we can't stop short. We can't stop short of fulfilling your purpose for our marriage. You show us what to do. You show us how to do it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do whatever you say. Our wives deserve it. Husbands deserve it. Oh, most of all, God deserves it. He deserves us acting out this illustration as it was meant to be. So help us do that, God. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.